Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Oh, no problem. Today we're going to be doing the finishing off our series on 1 John called Vital Signs, Evidence of True Discipleship. And then next week we'll look at 2 John and then the following week at 3 John and we'll get the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John out of the way. And... uh, yeah then, we, yeah, then we have to go to the book of John, and then we have to do the book of Revelation, I guess, if we're going to do all of John. <laughs> so we want to start reading in verse 14 of 1 John 5. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, because your word is alive and it's powerful. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Your word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It divides between the soul and the spirit. And Father, we just ask that today as we look at these passages of Scripture from 1 John 5, that you would open our hearts and open our minds and open our understanding that we may be changed because of an encounter with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week... um, Paul shared, and he was talking um, about at the end of that um, passage about salvation, or the assurance of our salvation. And so not only can believers have assurance of salvation in verse 13, but we can also have assurance that God will hear our prayer and answer them. Moreover, it's a, the gift of eternal life the assurance of our eternal life that allows us to come into God's presence 
and make our petitions known unto him. It starts off in verse 14. Now this is the confidence. Some um, versions say this is the assurance. This word confidence is used four times in 1 John. Twice it's used that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In 1 John 2.28 and 1 John 4.17. The requirements in those verses to have assurance or to have confidence on the day of judgment is we must abide in Him and we must love people like Jesus loved them. And then it's used, this word confidence is used twice about prayer. We have confidence in prayer. 1 John 3, 21 and 22, and then here in 1 John 5, 14. And it gives some requirements for our prayers to be heard. Number one, keep His commandments. Number two, do what pleases Him. And number three, ask according to His will. Now we're going to talk about a few things in here. There is a, I don't, I don't how do I say this? I don't want to say heresy or false teaching, but there is some error in the church today in certain streams of the church that you and I as sons and daughters of God can pray whatever we want and God has to do it. That almost that we can command God. And that's not what Scripture says. For God to answer our prayer and for God to hear our prayer, these conditions must be met. We must keep His commandments. We must be living according to this book. And then we have to do the things that please Him. We can't live our life pleasing ourselves and expect God to answer our prayer. And thirdly, it must be according to His will. I was just um, talking with someone the other day, and we were talking about, you know, how hard it is sometimes the flesh gets the better of us. You see that third piece of cake that you know you're not supposed to eat? Yeah, oh. <laughs> third, yeah. The second piece is okay, right? No. <laughs> It's that third, that's it, the third piece that, you know, and your flesh really wants it, but you know you're not supposed to have it. And he said, he said, I've prayed and I've asked God, just get rid of my flesh. Well, God can't do that and he won't answer that prayer. For the only way for us to truly overcome the flesh completely is we've got to be dead. And God's not going to kill us. So that's not a prayer that God will answer because it's not according to His will for us. Okay, that's just a, a simple illustration. But we have to understand that God will hear our prayers when we meet the conditions. See, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God are for bending His will to my will. But prayer is the prescribed way for me 
to submit my will to God's will. One of the most famous prayers about this is Jesus in the garden. God, if there's any way to take this cup away, not my will, but your will be done. See, in some circles of Christianity, they would say Jesus didn't have any faith because if he had faith, he would have just commanded God to take the cup away from him. And that's not biblical, okay? Prayer is me aligning my will with God's will so that his will would be done on earth. It's by prayer that we seek God's will. It's in prayer that we embrace God's will. It's in, it's in prayer that we align ourselves with God's will. And one of the commentators made this statement. Every true prayer is a variation of the theme that Jesus prayed, your will be done. When I was studying for this and was reading these commentaries, there was a word that we hear often here that kept going through my mind. Anybody think of you ask for something and what's the reply you normally get? <laughs> That's basically kind of what we're talking about. It needs to be according to God's will. One of the person who is in active fellowship with the Father, the Spirit, and the Son has assurance that God hears. Because see, when I'm in true relationship with God, when I'm really walking and I'm tight with God and, you know, everything's really going good between me and God, then I am walking according to his word and according to his will. And I'm not praying selfish prayers, but I'm praying for God's will to be done. I want you to sometime get a little tape recorder and tape your prayers. And then go back and listen to them and, and see what percentage of the prayers are based on me. No, not me, you. You, you know what I'm talking about. Personal stuff, you know. I know you're not, you know, <laughs> all your prayers aren't about Steve. That's not what I'm talking about, okay. But... Most of the time, we pray selfish prayers for me or my family or my, you know, it affects me. But we're really supposed to pray for others. And that's this next section, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and God will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death, and I do not say that you pray about that. 
One of the things I like about preaching through books of the Bible like this is you have to deal with passages like this. You can't just skip over them because it's here. So, okay, there is a sin that leads to death, and there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. And when you see your brother that's doing a sin that doesn't lead to death, you pray for him. When it's a sin that leads to death, you don't pray for him. What does that mean? The bottom line is this. One of the most important areas of prayer is for you and I to pray for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Especially when we know that they are having trouble in some spiritual, with some spiritual difficulty. See, rather than criticizing and finding fault and getting on Twitter or WhatsApp or Facebook and saying, hey, I've got a prayer request. Did you know so-and-so is, and you need to pray for him? That's not called a prayer request. That's called Christian gossip. Okay? No. When you see a brother or a sister struggling with something, don't criticize them. Don't find fault with them. Pray for them. The Bible says that King Saul disobeyed God and God told Samuel what he had done and the Bible says that Samuel spent the night weeping because of the sin of King Saul well I hate to say it but in the church today we wouldn't spend the night weeping for the sin of Saul we would spend the night tweeting or whatsapping or whatever, the sin of whoever. I mean, a man of God falls into sin, and it's worldwide in a matter of hours. And everybody's criticizing and everybody's condemning, but very seldom do you ever hear anyone say, we need to pray for them, for God to restore them back to a relationship with Him. Several suggestions... And I'm going to read this from a commentary because this was hard for me to get my mind around the sin unto death and the sin not unto death. Several suggestions have been given as the meaning of this difficult statement, sin which does not lead to death. It could mean a sin that does not lead to physical death as brought on by the severe physical misuse of the body, say like drugs, alcohol, things like that. A second suggestion is that it means a sin which leads to ultimate spiritual destruction, such as the sin against the Holy Spirit, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. A total rejection of the power, witness of the Holy Spirit in salvation. A third suggestion is that John is referring to spiritual destruction brought on by serious false teaching such as what was happening here in Ephesus with the Gnostics. They believed that the sacrifice on the cross was not what brought salvation but one's own striving 
of knowledge to reach truth about God. So in other words, it wasn't the salvation or the crucifixion of Christ that saved me. I saved myself by my knowledge and my gaining of knowledge and understanding about God and then I can go on and Jesus didn't really have to die. And that's what this whole book of 1 John is dealing with. So what is the sin that leads to death? It doesn't tell us. The only unpardonable sin it talks about is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what do I get from this? Pray for your brothers and your sisters until God tells you not to. Okay? And I've got scripture for that. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 16. God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them. And do not beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. So until you have a word like that from God, pray for your brothers and sisters. Okay? Don't criticize. Don't put them down. Don't gossip about them. Don't throw them on the garbage dump. Pray for them. It's been said the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. Every other army in the world, when a soldier gets shot in battle, they take care of him, they get him back, and then they give him a medal, a purple heart or some medal, signifying that he was wounded in battle. Many times the Christians aren't, Christian army when a member of the body of Christ falls into sin, gets wounded by the enemy, we just get rid of them. They're not worth anything to us anymore. But what he's saying here is we need to spend time praying for them. And it says if we will pray for them, then God will do something. John John says we are not to pray about whether or not a person has reached the point of committing the sin unto death. We're just to pray for them. So if you see someone having problems, you don't pray, okay, God, is this the sin that's unto death or is this the sin not unto death? Just pray for them and let God sort it out. How many of you would agree with me that you are not God? How many of you would agree with me that we're glad you're not God? Because <laughs> I said if I was God, heaven would be a very sparsely populated place and sometimes I wouldn't even let myself in. How many of you can agree with that, you know? The fact that there is a sin that leads to death ought to motivate us to pray more faithfully for those of the body of Christ. 
How sad to think that some wayward brother or sister might have had circumstances develop to which they would have responded positively and turned around if only someone had taken the initiative to pray for them. I know God answers prayer and I know God works through prayer. Kath and I are here today partly because of prayer. I've used this testimony before in Kenya many years ago. We were on my motorcycle heading into town and we were going up the road and coming over the hill the other way were two big dump trucks passing each other. And there wasn't anywhere for us to go except the ditch. And off the road in the ditch and by a miracle of God we didn't crash the motorcycle stayed in the ditch back on the road and went on to town and told that testimony some years later in the states and there was a group of ladies in San Antonio that said when did that happen and so we figured out the time that it happened they said we were in a prayer meeting and one of the sisters said pray for the mills they need help and they stopped what they were doing and they interceded for us for a couple of minutes and then the lady said everything's okay well God reached down and talked to those ladies 8,000 miles away that we needed help and they prayed and God saw us through so whenever God lays on your heart someone to pray for be obedient because it could be a life and death situation, and God will answer prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. That's one of the things that really touched me in studying this passage. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. That was like getting slapped upside the head with a concrete block. Because I have never considered that when I don't pray for you, it's sin against the Lord. And that's one of the things that I really like about the book of 1 John. Is it is so challenging of the things that he says. Just little snippets like that. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, not praying for brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's a little prayer. O oh Lord, make me an intercessor through whom the Spirit can plead for the sake of the lost and the wayward who are unaware of their need. We need to be intercessors for our brothers and sisters in Christ so that they don't fall into the sin that leads to death. 
And then verse 17, John wants us to know what sin is. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So John wants to make clear understanding that he is not soft on sin, and he says that anything that is unrighteous is sin. No act of unrighteousness is so trivial that it can be ignored or neglected. I heard a story about um, D.L. Moody meeting Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon smoked big cigars, and Moody was a great big heavyset guy. And as they met... Moody looked at Spurgeon and says, when are you going to get delivered and quit smoking those cigars? And Spurgeon poked him in his big old belly and said, when are you going to get delivered from food and lose some weight? (laughs) See, we think, oh, murder, adultery, oh, those are the big sins. You know, mortal sins and Venial sins, no. Sin is sin. God looks at it as sin. He declared in chapter 3, verse 3, that sin is lawlessness. Here he says that sin is unrighteousness. Lawlessness talks about a rebellion against God And unrighteousness talks about a violation of God's standards. So sin is either violating the laws of God openly or just violating His standards of what is right. A mortal sin is a sin that is deadly. The reference is to sins that cut off the sinner from the life given him by Christ and so cause him to fall into spiritual death. The book of Hebrews talks about when we have been enlightened by God and we have tasted of the goodness of God and then we turn our back on God, there is no salvation Available. When you've tasted the goodness of God and then turn your back on Him, that's it. That possibly is what this is talking about a sin that leads to death. When we totally, completely reject the wooing of the Holy Spirit, then God will no longer draw us unto Himself. Now, let's get to some positive stuff. 5.18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. When we are true believers, we no longer live a lifestyle of sin. We know that whoever is born of God does not live a lifestyle of sin. You may fall from time to time. 
but it's not a lifestyle like you used to have a life of sin. Those born of God keep themselves. God keeps us. God watches out for us. But I have to do something myself. I have to guard my life. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If I have problem with alcohol, God's not going to knock me over if I try to go back in a bar. I have to have the willpower. I have to have the determination that I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, will God help me? Will His Holy Spirit help me? Yes. But He's not going to do all of the work. I have to do it myself. I have to make sure I'm in prayer. I have to make sure I'm in the Word of God and that I'm doing things that guard my spirit. Watch, be careful what I watch, what I read. Be careful of the people that I hang with. Mark 13.33 says, Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. We have to be vigilant. We have to be watching. We have to constantly be in prayer so that we make sure that we do not fall into sin. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So once again, John is contrasting the Christian life with the worldly life. Those who follow God are those who follow what he calls the wicked one. You can't serve both God and the wicked one. Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. We have this saying in America, don't straddle the fence. In other words, don't try to have one foot in the world and one foot in God. Don't be one way at work and a different way at church. Don't put on one mask for when you go to work and then put on a separate mask for when you come to church. No, we need to be genuine. A contrast between the way of the world and the way of of God. All those in the world who are not born of God are under the dominion of the God of this world, Satan. We are not under the dominion of Satan any longer. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. We walk in light. Verse 20, 520. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding 
that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So John goes back to the idea that he's been doing throughout this entire book, that to be saved, we must have a genuine knowledge and understanding of who God is. We may, that we must know Him, and we know Him that He is the true God. Jesus uses this phrase in John 17, 3, talks about the only true God. See, the false teachers in Ephesus at this time were teaching that only certain people had true knowledge of God. And only those people that had a true knowledge of God could teach you about God. And if you weren't one of those chosen few then you had no way of knowing what God was really like. But John is saying here, every believer, every one of us knows God. Every believer, every one of you can know God intimately. You can know everything about Him that your finite human brain can wrap itself around. There are some things that we can never understand. How is God outside of time? How does God not have a beginning and not have an end? God's not stuck in time. Maybe he lives in a time warp continuum. I, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I just can't wrap my, my mind around that. God knows everything I'm going to do before I do it. Why? Because he's outside of time. God is everywhere at one time. So God can be here with us and he can be in Africa, he can be in the U.S., he can be wherever. Because God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God's omniscient. He's all-wise. God is too powerful to fail too wise to make a mistake, and too loving to hurt me. That's our God. And we know that God is true. Now, we do not know everything about God, but we know God is true. Hopefully, I know more about God today than I did in September 1976 when I got saved. I study His Word. And just, as I said a moment ago, studying this passage, it hit me again. God, you're so much bigger than anything I could think. 
not praying for my brothers and sisters is sin? Well, that's a new one I got to repent of that I didn't even know I was committing. <laughs> well, now. But we can know God. In our Sunday night life group, we've been doing a study on the attributes of God. And when we finish, we will understand how much we don't know about Him, even though we've been studying for 15 weeks about what God's like and His character. I heard a good message one time by a lady that I admire talking about God as other, and that was my wife, saying whatever we can think of God, he's other. If you try to put God in a box, he doesn't fit there. God doesn't fit in our culture. There's a great book, if you've never read it, I would recommend it. It's called Radical by David Platt. And he, in this book, the premise is that we have made a God or a Jesus, we serve a Jesus that fits into our culture. In the West, we serve a Jesus that doesn't want us to suffer. We serve a Jesus that doesn't want us to have any difficulties. And he started writing this book because he went to China and he was in an under, a meeting with some underground pastors in China and they were having a prayer meeting and he said they were all laying on the floor face down and they were weeping and he said they were weeping so much there were puddles of tears under each one of these men. And they were praying for the people in their congregations that were in prison or had been tortured or were suffering for being Christians. And at the end of the meeting, they asked him, how do you deal with those situations in your church in America? <laughs> and he had to say, oh, we don't have any of those situations, you know. We complain if the parking lot's too full and I have to walk an extra 20 feet to get into church. Or, you know, what's even worse than that is the pastor went five minutes too long and I didn't get to the head of the line at the buffet at the Cracker Barrel or whatever. You know? Radical. And he said we need, we need to get back to the Jesus... Of the Bible. We don't know everything about God, but we can know Him. And then verse 21 Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the first time in this whole book that John has mentioned idolatry or staying away from idols. And if you know the story of Ephesus from the book of Acts, chapter 19, they had a lot of idolatry. In fact, there was a riot when some of the idol makers got saved and the idolatry 
was come against. Ephesus was steeped in idolatry. And here at the very end, John is coming back to his favorite um, expression for the people of God, my little children, keep yourselves from idols. And if you read the Bible, starting in Genesis, all the way through, from the very beginning, there has been a problem with people having idols. Great deliverance from Egypt. What do they do? Make a golden calf. I mean, all through the history of God's people, there have been problems with idols. You say, oh, I don't have any idols. Really? A few years ago, we were in Germany on a military base, and we were on the way to the chapel on Sunday morning, and as we were driving by, I saw a lot of the young soldiers out worshiping their idols. They were kneeling down in front of brand new cars with polish rags, worshiping their idols. Sometimes we go to work every day at our idol because it's more important to us than God. What is an idol? Anything that comes between you and God. It could be family. I know sometimes family is more important than the things of God. John says we need to be conscious that nothing comes between us and God. No teaching, no church doctrine, nothing can come between us and God. So believers must be confident that God answers prayer according to His own purpose. Not according to my purpose. God answers prayer according to His will, not my will. As children of God, we have genuine knowledge about God. We can know Him intimately and personally. Christians should guard ourselves against error. We need to be hanging with people that help us do better, not with people that pull us down. I've done an illustration with kids before where I would get on a table or on a chair and have a kid come up and grab my hand. I said, so this represents I'm up here as a Christian and you're a sinner, so let's see if I can pull you up or if it's easier for you to pull me down. And it's always easier to be pulled down than it is to pull someone up. Now, we also do need to hang out with sinners. Because if you have no friends that are unbelievers, 
Who are you going to lead to Jesus? But we need to be careful that we're not pulled into the same things that they're pulled into. We have to guard ourselves. And we then have to be careful that we worship God alone. I know some churches, and I've been in some churches, that their building is their God. All they ever talk about is their building and their, you know, this and that, and, or their program is their God. Or, and I hate to say this, I've been in some churches that the pastor was their God. We were involved in a situation, a well-known minister in the States that fell and as a result of that, hundreds of people quit going to church because their idol fell. Almost a personality cult in some situations. So we need to make sure as believers that we are worshiping only God. That nothing comes between us and God. Pray for one another. Because that's what this scripture is talking about. Be confident that God hears our prayers when we pray according to his will and pray for one another. When someone comes to you with a problem, pray for them. Amen. Let me ask you just a couple of questions application. Are you confident that God answers your prayers according to His purpose? Is God a prayer-answering God? And then the next question is, are you submissive to God's will and to God's plan for your life? The next one's a hard one. Do you pray for or gossip about fellow believers involved in sin? Are you carefully guarding yourself from error by knowing the truth? You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then lastly, are you doing your very best to live a righteous lifestyle in every situation? Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. Because, Father, your word is powerful. Your word leads us and guides us. And your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, I thank you that we can come to passages like this in your word and we can wrestle with them. And 
even leave not knowing a complete answer to what is that sin that leads to death. But, Father, we know the principle that we are to pray for one another in every situation. And, Father, help us to pray for our brothers and sisters until we get a word from you that says, don't pray for that any longer. Father, I thank you that you have brought us to this place. You have given us your word that we may live godly lives before you. That others may look at our lifestyle and know that you are the true God and that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. Father, I ask now that you would be with every person in this room. That, Father, we would understand that we have an obligation to our brothers and sisters to bring them before your throne of mercy and grace. And then, Father, we have the confidence, we have the assurance that when we pray, you hear us and you answer. Father, help us to seek you for your will and your plan and your purpose. And not to try to use prayer as a way of manipulating you to do what we want you to do. And Father, we thank you once again today that we are your little children. And you watch out for us. But Father, we also need to guard our hearts and guard our minds by your word and by your spirit and through prayer. That the enemy has no way of penetrating your armor that you have given us. And Father, be with us as we go our separate ways today. Let each one of us walk in a manner worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen.